What's good? What's good, man? We are wrapping up our series on the pillars of character. Y'all ready? Ready. Y'all ready? Let's go. Let's get it. Um, I'm about to wrap. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, man, I want to do a little recap as we close out this series. Um, if you have not uh, been listening to the other Guided Gatherings, I suggest that you guys go back, even pause this video and listen to Tori preach on faithfulness and Adam preach on hope um, because I'm really going to be setting up and you need all three of those foundations to really understand where we're heading to today. So we're heading to 1 Corinthians 13. 13, uh, and this is what it says. It says, now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And although there's an emphasis here on love and what that looks like in a lot of ways, what Paul is saying that it's through the character of God's faithfulness that builds our trust, and it's because God gives something that we can hope for in the promise in Jesus Christ that now we know what it means to be loved. And it's all three of those things, that all three, faith, hope, and love, begin to define the character of God, that ultimately we see the fulfillment of these things through Christ. And in this series, we are taking Old Testament passages that show us these three things and how what they point to Christ. So that's the thing that we're looking at, right? So the Old Testament, the whole time, they're looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. They're longing for the day for the Messiah to come. There's anticipation for the day and all things in God's promises and his covenants. He's trying to tell his people that there will be a day where he would send somebody, his son. So that's where we're heading. And in a lot of ways, I pray that gives you joy, it gives you comfort, it gives you peace and hope, especially in the season of life, because it shows that what God is always in control. Do you really believe in that? That if we begin to trust in the beauty of the gospel that will build our faith, hope, and drive us to know that we are loved, even in the midst of the pandemic, that Jesus reigns. So we're going to see how love is played out today um, in a redemptive, crazy, weird, <laughs> scandalous story. Man, I, I was reading Hosea over and over again, and I'm like, man, this is from Jerry Springer or something. <laughs> um, if you don't know what Jerry Springer is, don't Google it. It's okay. <laughs> Y'all don't need to know. Uh, but man, in the book of Hosea, um, who is a prophet, and in most cases, in the prophets, we get examples of the message of what God has for his people. And here in Hosea, we actually get an example of imagery in the life of Hosea, where Hosea's life is a picture of the message that God has for his people. In a lot of ways, people compare Jonah and Hosea because they're anomalies as prophets, but their life reflects the character of God. So that's where we're heading. It shows us that God's plans are not always our plan in the midst of difficulty, that God is up to something, that nothing, I mean, nothing is unredeemable by God. That's because of God's love for us is so great that there's nothing he cannot redeem or restore. His love for us is all powerful that he can make the impossible happen to restore the way things are meant to be. And do you believe in that? And they believe in that. So in this prophet, we see an example of things that seem messed up, but God bringing redemption to the infinite plan that he has for us. And I'm going to be honest, man, if we read Hosea with, without the gospel, we will quickly see a messy situation. 
But this story tells you more about the character of God and how loved we are. So these are my three points. The call of Hosea in demonstration of love. So the call of Hosea in demonstration of love. Number two, the fall of Gomer and how the world loves us. And three, how love is restored. So let's head to that first point, the call of Hosea in demonstration of love, where my brother Ryan is going to read Hosea chapter one, verses two through nine. Hello, my name is Ryan Kreider. My wife, Sarah, and I co-lead the Windsor Park CG with the Montgomery's. We're really looking forward to helping lead also the student ministry for sixth through 12th graders at the well. I'll be reading this week from Hosea one, two through nine. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he took Gomar, the daughter of Delaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will push the house of Jehu, blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name no mercy, and for I will have no mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. I will have mercy on the house of Judah. I'll save them by the Lord their God. I'll not save them by their bow or by their sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name, not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, brother, for reading that. Man, God is calling Hosea to a marriage, right? With a woman who's going to commit adultery and cheat on him. He has three children that we'll get into a little bit later, but God is basically calling Hosea into a marriage and saying, this woman will not be faithful and she will love other men. And he says, but yet I still want you to marry her and love her. Yeah, yeah, for real, right? Like it's, it's through this book, although we do not quite understand why God is asking Hosea to do all this, that really shows the character of God. Now imagine what is happening here, right? If it's the prophet's job to proclaim the message of God to his people, he's calling the prophet Hosea to go into the broken relationship and God is saying, this is my message to my people. Do you believe in that, right? So throughout all scripture, we see love being demonstrated in many ways. And one of the most tangible illustration that God gives us is a marriage. A marriage, right? God gives his people an understanding, a relationship with him as a marriage. We think of God as a holy being, a shepherd, a father, but do you look at God as a groom? That God wants a relationship that is so intense and intimate, so binding that time after time, he shows us the importance of understanding him as a bridegroom. Jeremiah 33, 11 says this, the voice of of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who say, give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And we also see this in Isaiah 54, 5, that says, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts in his name. 
and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth is called, for the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, for the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed. But he says, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. Here is God of the universe that is saying this about his people, right? It's crazy to think of God in this manner, that he may say, my steadfast shall never depart from you, that even the mountains will depart, but my steadfast love will always remain. And God is saying that he delights in us, that God's everlasting love will never desert us or forsake us. And do you really believe in that as you imagine and you see God? So God is showing what the great marriage of his people for his people, the joy of being able to be in relationship with him. He wants us to experience that. Man, I remember in the short 21 years of my life, um, because that's how old I am. (laughs) um, Man, I've been to my fair share of weddings, right? And I've stood in my fair share of weddings. Um, So I've been a groomsman or best man to about like eight weddings. So I have all these suits that I'm never gonna wear again, but I had to purchase uh, because I had to stand in these weddings. And man, thinking about a wedding in a lot of ways, I think a lot of us have different favorite parts of the wedding. But consistently, consistently over like what everyone loves is what, when the bride comes down, right? Because when the bride comes down, what happens? Everything stops, everyone stands, then looks at the bride as she comes and she's dressed up and you know, she's ready to go. And, and, and people love seeing that. It brings tears to people's eyes. But I'm gonna be honest with you, that is not my favorite part. (laughs) And when the bride comes down, I actually look at the bride for a little bit, but I actually looking, I love love looking at the groom. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite part. Because there's something about looking at the groom and the anticipation of love that's coming down Mm -hmm. that really begins to stir the affections of my heart. And here's the thing, I think what God is saying is that's how he sees us. Mm. That's how loved we are. Like the bride that's coming down with the anticipation that God would see us in that way, that the illustration that he has for in Hosea is an illustration of marriage. Mm. Do you see who God is? He's the ultimate bridegroom. The call for Hosea is a demonstration of love that God has for his people, that his desire is to be intimate relationship with his people. That is why he created us, that that we would enter into his love. Is God your first love? That if you are here married, the very reason we're able to experience the joy of marriage is because not because we're good or because we know what it means to love, but we first understand the marriage that we have with God and that he is our first love. And if you're single, that you understand who loves you and who you get to be in relationship with. We are loved by the bridegroom. Do you think in these terms, when you think of God, do you picture a God that is condemning with fire in his eyes? Or do you imagine a God that looks at you like a groom looks at the bride coming down? Because I think if we're going to be honest, because of sin so many times, it's hard to see that. Or it's hard to believe in that. And Hosea's call to become a prophet is the call that God wants for his people. The imagery of the call for Hosea to love Gomer is an example of God's love for us. But what happens, for my second point, the fall of Gomer 
and how the world love us, loves us. The fall of Gomer and how the world loves us. So let's examine the story in depth, right? So Hosea, a prophet, marries Gomer, and we see in chapter one that Gomer's not faithful to the marriage, that she doesn't understand the love that is seen in Hosea, and because she doesn't understand the intentions of her bridegroom, she goes out and acts on the desires of her flesh and cheats on Hosea with multiple men, right? So Hosea is faithful, but Gomer goes out and is wild. They have three children, and the third child, it says in verse 8, when she had weaned no mercy, and then she conceived and bore a son, and it says, and the Lord said, call his name not my people, which the literal translation is not mine, meaning it's a son that is conceived through an adulterous relationship. But yet, here we see God's call for Hosea to be the father of that child. She's unfaithful in her marriage. We see there's a war that is waged for her affections. She desires to experience love and she turns to everything else but the one thing that truly loves her. Man, I was reminded of a C.S. Lewis quote who is a scholar and a writer. And this is what he says. He says this. He says, it would seem that our Lord find our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about the drink and sex ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Man, Gomer is trying to find affection and love and is finding it in all the wrong places. And don't we do this all the time? Don't you see, we, we look at the scandal of love and it's such a mess and we think that we are Hosea in this story, but if we're going to be honest, we are not Hosea, but we are actually Gomer. Don't we give ourselves to everything else but to God? What holds your affection? What thing do you say to yourself, if only I had this? Because the thing that we find ourselves dwelling in and thinking about the most is what holds our affection. And if we're going to be honest, the world tells us to love the next big thing. It doesn't happen all the time. Man, I have such a silly example. So my son, um, this last Monday, um, he turned three which is crazy, man. I can't imagine um, having a three-year-old. But man, um, I remember when the new iPhone came out and here it is right here. And the iPhone comes out and man, I love like the next best thing. I love looking at all the Apple stuff. And when it comes out, I was like, oh man, I need to get this. And sure enough, I do. And I go and get it and I love it. And the thing is like when this first came out, there was weeks and weeks that I would spend time on this phone. And all my son saw me do is be on my phone. Right? Here he is trying to play with me and do all these things, but I'm on my phone. And I remember there was this one time that I was cooking and I was cooking and my phone called. I think actually Chris was calling me. Uh, why you got to call me like that, Chris? But uh, So I, I get a phone call and Isaiah looks at that and he knows that it's a phone call and he grabs my phone. And I kid you not, as he grabs it, he accidentally turns around and he drops it and it scratches up my phone. <laughs> 
And I remember getting so upset that my ghetto started coming out, which means I started cursing. And I remember being so upset that my son started crying. And I saw his face, and my wife who knows best, me best, looks at me and says, and she always reminds me, she always knows best, and she says, man, people are more important than things. And if I'm going to be honest, at the moment, I was not thinking of my son, I was thinking of myself, because in some ways, this object that's just a phone had my affection. What holds your affection? When something is more important than God in your life, that is your God. And we think we hold on the false promise of the world that says that this will satisfy you, but ultimately this leads to our destruction. Look at what the world does. What happens, right? Emily, can you please read Hosea chapter 3? Hi, Well family. My name is Emily, and I'm a co-leader of the IM Fields College CG. And today I'll be reading from Hosea 3. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver, and a homer and a leaf each of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. Man. Verse 1 and 2 says, And the Lord said to me, and says, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and homer and a lethic of barley. Right? Gomer is in a huge mess. She believes in the lie of the world that says that she will be loved and comforted by men. And this begins to spiral down. In fact, what is happening in this chapter, we find in verse 2, she's actually in a marketplace being auctioned off to be sold. So we see that she probably laid in bed with the wrong kind of guy, a guy that led to her destruction, someone who doesn't even love her. She's with someone who's like a pimp, and Gomer was so lost in trying to find love that she kept selling herself over and over again being a prostitute until she found herself at a ransom of a guy who didn't find any use for her and wanted to put her up for auction. The world is after our affection, our commitment, and when we put our trust in the affections of the world, the world cannot keep its promise. And instead, it doesn't care if it just wants to use you, chew you up, and spit you back out, leading to your destruction. Here in the prophets, we get Gomer, who be wildin'. But here, we get a complete scandal. But the crazy thing is, this isn't even the biggest scandal that happens. So my third point, love restored. Love restored. 
Verses one through three again, it says to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves his children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver in a homer of lethic of barley and said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I be to you. Look at what God's command for Hosea is. He says, go, go again. She has left you, she is for sale, and God says, go again. Let's show the world what I'm like. God is calling Hosea to do something so scandalous, so crazy. He's saying, I know your wife has cheated on you and she's a mess, but I want you to go and I want you to go again and again and again and again. I want you to chase after her. I want you to go and show the world what it's like to love. Can you imagine what's happening in Gomer, right? She thinks sleeping with men will satisfy her heart. She goes and she cheats on her husband over and over again. She has children with different husbands or different men. And now she's in a place where the world tells her that she's undesirable and she's put for auction like an object in a marketplace. And most commentators actually believe that she is naked. Naked and vulnerable for people to see and bid on her. And because her faith and hope were in a world, in the world, she probably only knows what it means to be loved by the world. And this leads to her feeling guilty, feeling shame, feeling undesired. And in fact, probably she doesn't feel human. And she probably asks the question, and who could love me? man, I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. In fact, my whole story relates to that. Like throughout my whole story of me meeting Christ, I went um, in, in finding, trying to find my identity. At a young age, I was always seeking the affections of the world. And I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to feel like I belong. And I would look at all the wrong places, just like Gomer. So I would look at what it means to sell drugs, what it means to make money, what it means to do drugs, what it means to be in relationships in and out with different girls. In fact, in the lowest of my time, when I was 18 years old, I was so fiending for the world and the affections that I would go out and I would be arrested for GTA, which means Grand Theft Auto, if you didn't know. (laughs) And I sat there thinking just like Gomer in the mess of my life from a drug addiction to a sex addiction to a fighting addiction to a power addiction, dropping, I dropped out of high school, got expelled from three schools, didn't know what I was going to do with my life, and I sat there, and just like Gomer, I asked this question, who could love me? Who could love me? And when she is at her ugliest and worst and hits the bottom of the valley, probably not wanting to live as she is sold into the marketplace. Think about this for a second. Her eyes are probably closed because she can't even dare look up to see who's bidding on her. And as this is happening, she hears the voice of her husband that says, I want her. Mm 
I love her. I will pay for her. Hosea comes and what he buys his wife. He pays the debt that is owed for his own wife and it would cost him everything. Because now someone has to pay the price and they say the average slave would actually be sold for 30 shekels. And here's Hosea, who was a prophet, who probably didn't have lots of money, so he spends all that he has, which is probably 15 shekels, and knows that probably isn't enough, so what does he do? He goes and sells his possessions, his barley, and pays. It would cost him everything to purchase his own wife, which is already his. And not only that, think about this, right? Here is somebody who's a prophet. He's supposed to be upright. He's supposed to be the example, someone who's holy, someone who who does all these things and all this religion. And Hosea here, he's willing to lay it all down. He's willing to spend all things and lay his pride to say, I want that woman. When she feels like she is incapable of feeling love because the world chewed her up and spat her out, and when the world doesn't even want to love her and she probably doesn't even know love herself, she's listening to a lie that says that she's unworthy. God demonstrates his love by saying, well, I want you. You are beautiful to me. He shows it by Hosea risking everything because isn't this a foreshadow of what is to come? that one day it would cost everything in his son Jesus to purchase what you and me, because don't we see, right? It's Jesus that's in the marketplace being sold as a slave. Matthew 26, 15 says this, Judas betrayed him. What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And look what it says. And they paid him, what? 30 pieces of silver. Here's Jesus in the marketplace that's being sold to be betrayed. And we see Jesus put up to auction against the criminal in Barabbas where the world is saying, crucify Jesus who is innocent. And it's Jesus who goes to the cross. And even though in pictures we see a Jesus that is clothed, they say that crucifixion was not only the most, uh, it was not only an execution, but it was also the humiliation where they would want to make the person crucified vulnerable. So I don't know if you know, but Jesus wasn't crucified clothed, but he was crucified naked for the world to see. And where we see Gomer, who is up for auction, and Hosea, who pays the price, we see Jesus, who is on the cross, And instead of hearing a voice of the rescue from the Father, he gets the the Father who turns from his Son. Until he yields up his spirit and breathes his last, paying for sin once and for all. Man. See, Hosea's story is a demonstration of love that was to come because it's Jesus that would pay the price. And it would cost him everything. The love would come down to rescue us, that Jesus would pay it all. Do you believe in the blood of the Son that covers all of you? Who holds your affection? The lies of the world that will say that I will chew you up and spit you out. Or a God that says, I want you, I love you, I will send my son, and he will pay the price. 
that it doesn't matter how great your sin or what you have done or how you feel like you're not loved. You are more loved than you've ever known because it's Jesus who pays the price of your sin through his blood. That when the world tells you and reminds you of our worth, that the son of God will pay the price and be destroyed on our behalf, that now we get life. Do you believe in that? Who holds your affection? Who loves you? Now look at this. Not only do we get life through Jesus, just like verse three, this is what it says. This is this. This is where it says, you must dwell as mine for many days. That where you must dwell as mine for many days. That in the gospel, we see Jesus who pays the price on the cross. And in his faithfulness, we see that he doesn't stop in the grave, but resurrects, conquering what? Death once and for all. That we now have hope and are clothed in his righteousness. That now we dwell in what? His love that God has for us forever and ever and ever. He establishes us as his bride. He says, you must dwell with me forever. That we get to experience that love for eternity. What God is saying is, don't you see that you're loved? Don't you see who you are to me? He says, Israel, my church, my people, you can understand me as father, king, shepherd, but now we get him as our bridegroom for eternity. Do you believe in that? Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you, O oh Lord, for your sovereignty. Father, we thank you, O oh Lord, that it was a call to Hosea to love this woman, Gomer, who would be unfaithful but it would be a display of the character of your love for us to see. We thank you, O oh Lord, that we get to know what love really means, that we get to see your faithfulness and we get to have hope knowing that we are loved by you forever and ever, that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Father, I pray that that would be a truth that's in our hearts, that when the enemy or when the world tells us a lie that we are unworthy or that we are not loved, that we will fall back and remember the cross and the beauty of what Jesus did, that he would come down, that he would rescue us, that he would love us, that he would pay the price, that we now forever get to be his bride. Let that be the truth that begins to set us free. Let that be the joy of our hearts in all ways. Father, we thank you for who you are. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name.